Hello, I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman, and welcome to The God Squad, a podcast you can believe in. Today, we're talking about heaven or the worms. What awaits us after death? Look, there's only really two answers to the question of what happens after God kisses us on the lips and takes our breath away and we die. Or if there is no God and no one kisses us but we just die. Just two answers. And one of them is something is waiting for our souls. The other answer is the worms are waiting for our body. Personally, and professionally as a rabbi, I'm a something guy. I'm, I'm not a worm guy. I, I think I used to be a worm guy because when you study philosophy, when you grow up in a secular culture, there's lots of people encouraging you to believe that we're just a bunch of goo, genetic goo, and that this life is the only life we have, and when we die, uh, that's all, folks. And that could be true. After all, what I'm talking about today is hope. Not something that we can prove like a scientific experiment. So there's either something waiting for us or there's nothing there and we just become part of the earth. Now, we know that's what happens to our bodies. The question is, is there more to us than just our bodies? So one of my teachers, a man by the name of Rabbi Richard Rubenstein, may his memory be blessed, he was a definite something guy, and then he wrote a book called After Auschwitz, in which he felt that his faith had been totally broken by the fact that God didn't do anything to save the Jews and other victims of the Holocaust. He became an atheist, and he renounced everything. And he wrote beautifully about his renunciation. Listen to this. These are his words. I am convinced that I have arisen out of nothingness and I am destined to return to nothingness. All human beings are locked in the same fatality. In the final analysis, omnipotent nothingness is the Lord of all creation. Nothing in the bleak, cold, unfeeling universe is remotely concerned with human aspiration and longing. Only death perfects life and ends its problems. God can only redeem by slaying. We have nothing to hope for beyond what we are capable of creating in the time allotted to us. In the final analysis, all things crumble away into the nothingness which is at the beginning and the end of creation. Well, I'll tell you, he could 
Richard could really write. So the question is not whether Richard Rubenstein is right or wrong. We can't know for certain until after we die. And as far as I can tell, that's when they cut off your cell phone service. So you, you can't call home with the answer. No, the question I want all of us to consider is not whether Richard was correct. The question is whether you can live a hopeful life believing that he is correct. I cannot. I am with Albert Camus, who was pretty much a nothing guy, but still he, he wrote, <clears throat> I would rather live my life as if there is a God and heaven and die to find out there isn't then live my life as if there isn't and die to find out there is. Sort of a Pascal's wager. I once asked the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens, may his memory be blessed. Without God in heaven, Christopher, what is the source of your hope? He looked at me and said, that is the best question. And he died without the best answer to the best question. But we do not have to suffer his fate. Heaven is hope. Heaven is the hope that the part of us that is not material will not suffer the same fate as the part of us that is material. It's the hope that we are not just a pile of genetic goo. I will say that Tom Hartman is the one who changed me from being a, a worm guy to being a something guy. Over 30 years of friendship, Tommy changed me, not by getting me to discover the truth of Christian belief, but by getting me to rediscover the truth of Jewish belief. A Jewish belief in heaven which we call in Hebrew Olam Haba, which means in Hebrew the world to come. I think there's an ancient Aramaic translation of Olam Haba in which it means Boca Raton. You know, the place you go to for God to call your foursome to the T. Well, whatever. Jews believe in that. Judaism believes in that. But sadly, many rabbis don't talk about life after death, except in metaphorical terms. And life after death is not just a personal belief. It's the belief of every major religion in the world that death is not the end of us. It's true in Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they all have different answers, but they're all in the group of something rather than just the worms. Now, I knew all this, but I did not let its truth change me. And now I have. There are a bunch of reasons why people have trouble Good reasons, natural, understandable reasons. 
for people having difficulty believing that death is not the end of us. One is science and rationalism. It just seems there's no proof for this. And so why should we believe in something for which there is no self-evident scientific proof? But on the other hand, if you look at something like our consciousness, what part of our body is that in? It's not just our brain. There's no part of our brain that is us. There's memories and thinking, but there's no actual part of us that is our most distinctive part, our, our consciousness. That part, religions believe, isn't part of our body because it wasn't put into our body like our kidneys or our heart or our lungs. It's a gift from God. So there is evidence that there's something about us that isn't just material. I mean, all the cells in my body and yours have the same DNA they had when we were born, but I'm this, I'm Mark Gelman. I'm the same Mark Gelman that existed in the body of a baby. And yet everything about me has totally changed. Every cell in my body when I was born is gone, replaced by other cells. And yet me, my personality, my consciousness, yes, my soul is still there. So there is some evidence. Another reason people, I think, have difficulty with life after death is it, it looks like a simple bribe. Oh yeah, if you do well, then you get rewarded by heaven. If you do badly, then you get punished and sent to hell. Well, there's a lot to be said about that, and there's a lot to be said about bribes. <laughs> Most parents could not raise their kids without a whole litany of bribes, from cookies to an extra half hour of staying up, all rewards for good behavior. And frankly, if we didn't have highway patrol officers to enforce the speeding limits, you could put all the speed limit signs you want out there on the highway and people would be burning rubber, <laughs> driving as fast as they could. So there's nothing, if, if fear of hell keeps people from doing bad things in this life, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Another difficulty people have, I think, is uh, when you believe in heaven and hell, it looks like you're giving up on this world. You're saying, you know, my, my life, my future, my essential journey happens after I die, and this life doesn't matter that much. That's sort of a crude and inauthentic reading of certain Christian groups that believe in intensely in life after death, and certain Muslims and others. And so 
the idea is put forward that if you believe in life after death, you're not going to be as dedicated to fixing what's wrong with the world in this life. Well, let's look at that argument. Tommy and I lectured at lots of different places with kids, high schools, other places. We'd always try to fit in a question of who do you think are the, the best contributors to the welfare of the earth in the last hundred years? And it's funny because almost all the lists are the same. You've got Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Gandhi. And we say to people, well, every one of those people, those three, not only believed in life after death, but they were professionally religious. And they didn't give up on the world at all just because they believed that death was not the end of our journey. So that argument, I think, also doesn't work too well. The fact of the matter is that there's either something to hope for in this life or, or there's just the unending terror that it's about to end and could end at any time. Life after death is really like the belief in God. They, they're connected. And they're both connected to the simple hope that we are not alone. And that there is a force in the universe that cares about us and, and loves us and that we are noticed and we are accounted for. So those are the reasons why I believe death is not the end of us. There's an old folk story that I, I love very much. It's a, a story about, it's called The Legend of the Long Spoons. It has a long history in Europe, and, and, and this is the story. It's about what happens after we die and the difference between heaven and hell. And it's the best description of the difference between heaven and hell I've ever heard. This is the story. A master is asked by a student, Master, what is the difference between heaven and hell? And the master answers the student this way. Oh, well, you see, in hell, the wicked are hungry and the souls of the wicked are sitting at a table filled with every wonderful food that is pleasing to the eye and a delight to the palate. And they can see the food and they can smell the food, but they cannot bring the food to their lips with their long spoons because their arms are locked straight out in front of them. The student said, oh, master, that is indeed hell. Master, what is heaven like? And the master answered, oh, well, you see, in heaven, the souls of the righteous are also sitting around a table filled with every wonderful kind of food that is pleasing to the eye and a delight to the palate. 
and they can see the food and they can smell the food, but they cannot bring the food to their lips with their long spoons because their arms are locked straight out in front of them. The puzzled student asked, Master, what is the difference between heaven and hell? And he answered, Oh, you see, in heaven, the people are feeding each other. Let me tell you a blessing. You are blessed, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us a Torah of truth and who has implanted within us eternal life. I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman. Thanks for listening to The God Squad. The God Squad podcast is a production of the Mark Gelman Institute. I know the guy. And this episode was produced by Matthew Siegel at Silicon Bowery. Until next time, you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and many other fine podcast locations. I'd love to hear from you at rabbi at godsquadpodcast.com. God bless us, one and all.